I am Hannah Rosenau here to host for the next hour. So excited to be a part of the Amplify Women Day. Let's just say you're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland and KQAC HG3 Portland 1071 and 91.1 FM streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. All right, so I am here for the next hour, and we have some guests that I'll, we'll be calling in. I'm excited to talk with Nilafar and Michelle later on in the hour. Um, let's see. Again, today, we're, this is Amplify Women on X-Ray. So all day, it has been women hosts, amplifying women's voices, providing intersectional education on a diverse range of issues, impacting women in Portland and beyond. So stay tuned between now and 7 p.m. to keep hearing more of the most impactful community leaders, educators, activists, artists, professionals, etc. on the air. And again, you're welcome to text in and join the conversation. We love to hear what you're thinking about, what we're sparking ideas. Offer your points, make your voice heard. Text us 971-220-5900. Um, just for a little bit of context, reminder that countries around the world celebrate International Women's Day. It was actually yesterday, but we're keeping it going. The day not only recognizes the achievements made by women, but also brings awareness to the obstacles that stand in our way. The United Nations focused this year on gender equality and human rights for all women and girls. The theme this year was I Am Generation Equality, Realizing Women's Rights. And under that banner, it's about challenging gender norms, empowering each other, celebrating diversity, breaking stereotypes, rejecting the binary, mobilizing and taking action. But the Trump administration did join 19 nations, including Saudi Arabia and Russia, to declare there's no international right to abortion at the United Nations meeting in New York last September. So this aligned the U.S. with countries um, that don't have a good record with human rights, including Saudi Arabia and Sudan. Um, of course, civil society um, and women's rights groups here express alarm at this effort. I wanted to talk about the steady erosion of access to family planning and abortion care with our guest today. Um, I'm excited to have Nilafar Ganji join me on air. Nilafar, are you there? Hi, Anna. I'm here. Yes, I'm so excited to talk with you. We have... Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Let me say, you're a quick bio so folks can know why I invited you here today. Nilafar is an Iranian-American, an organizer, a political strategist, and a passionate advocate for abortion access, among other things. Nilafar serves on the board of directors for the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. She also serves on the board of director for the National Iranian American Council Action. Uh, Nilafar lives in Seattle, where she works as the political and communications director for the Washington Senate Democratic Campaign, fighting to protect and expand the Democratic majority in the state Senate. And... Any free time she spends with her dog, Murphy, and her two cats, Wiley and Bandit. So cute. <laughs> so, um, yes, thank you. We're excited to have you here today. We, um, actually, I was gonna, I was 
kind of doing this intro to say, you know, we're on Women's International Day. Trump has really put us in a weird position in the United States um, by many uh, things that the administration does, but including declaring there is no international right to abortion care. Um, And then the U.S. last year received an F for our universal access to sexual and reproductive health services. Um, Is that a surprise to you? (laughs) You know, it's unfortunately not a surprise to me that we received an F. You know, working with the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, which have you already talked about what the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is, or should I give a little intro on what that is so folks know what I'm talking about? Yeah, let's let's give them a taste of what NWAF is all about. <laughs> all right. Well, big controversy if it's NWAF or NWAF, and I myself haven't decided. So for folks listening, you'll hear me say both. I'm still talking about the Northwest Abortion Access Fund. So NWAF is an organization that primarily serves Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. We have trained compassionate volunteer advocates that run a 24-7 toll-free hotline that folks call in when they need help paying for their abortion care. And what we do is we send funds directly to the clinic so that folks can actually access abortion care. Um, Potentially little-known fact is that abortions are really expensive. And we also help people get to and from the clinic and making sure that they have a safe place to stay if they need one. Uh, This particularly comes into play because folks from Idaho often have to travel across state lines in order to access abortion care because the laws in Idaho are so egregious when it comes to abortion access and family planning in general. So thinking about the United States receiving an F does not come as a shock to me because, you know, even here in the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon, in Washington, we get calls every day from folks that are struggling to make ends meet and can't access abortion because of how much it costs. And, you know, that's on the more progressive side of things. And I think it just gets worse from there when you look at other places in the country. But have seen a steady increase in abortion restrictions over the last number of years. So the abortion um, fund model is really interesting because it kind of sits in this um, pocket where, you know, you have your traditional reproductive health organizations, like people would recognize Planned Parenthood, where you're going in and getting Mm -hmm. direct services. You've got your reproductive rights groups like your NARAL where they're advocating for policies and laws um, and then you have your reproductive justice like we'll say Sister Song who kind of take a wider approach about um, not only abortion access but um, childbirth and raising healthy families and communities and abortion mm-hmm. funds are kind of wh- where are they in this kind of trio of reproductive health focused organizations? That's like That's a great question, and I love how you laid out those different types of organizations. I see abortion funds in general more in the reproductive justice sphere, with the caveat that there are over 70 abortion funds across the country, and they all look a little bit different. I would say where I see the role of NWAP is really filling in the gaps between reproductive health and reproductive rights. 
So again, you know, looking here in the Pacific Northwest, um, both Oregon and Washington in the last number of years have passed some pretty amazing legislation at the state level to help increase access to abortion. I'm more familiar with the Washington laws being that I live in Seattle, so I can speak to that and say, you know, in 2018, Washington passed a law called the Reproductive Parity Act, and it requires insurance companies to cover the cost of abortion care if they cover any pregnancy care. Mm -hmm. So basically just ensuring that no matter what option folks decide when they become pregnant, they can get coverage from their insurance plan. So you w- you but, looked at it from that parity perspective. So it's it's reproductive health whether you choose to continue your pregnancy or end it. Both both are valid correct. and both need to be covered like a medical benefit. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. And still people fall in between the gaps there, right? Because that's great to have care for you know to have coverage for abortion care for instance via your insurance plan but if you're working three jobs and have no days off how are you going to get to the clinic or if you don't have access to child care how are you going to have someone take care of your existing children if you elect to have an abortion or if you live in a rural area potentially hundreds of miles away from the nearest clinic and don't have transportation to get there, you know, then that's where NWAC comes into play. That's where our organization can help step in and cover the cost, the remaining cost of abortion care, or can help folks find a ride in order to actually get there. Um, And I see that more in the reproductive justice lens because it's taking a step back and looking at the whole person and the systems that, come into play that impact a person's lives. It's a really much more intersectional lens on how to actually access abortion versus just having the legal right to abortion or even having insurance coverage for it. There's so many more things that come into play. And uh, for listeners, I do work the hotline at NWAF, so I also am um, familiar with this. I think what we see when people are calling in is you see the folks that are left behind out of lo- of big um, policies. So you end up getting calls from the people that are falling through the cracks or that are the most marginalized, um, that it's still not affordable and it's still not um, within grasp. So I think that's where the abortion funds can also start seeing kind of trends of, okay, now who's kind of, who's being left out? who is still calling because they they can't um, afford this on their own. Yes, definitely. And that brings up a great point, which is that abortion funds have been doing this work for many years. And in my experience, we're starting to see abortion funds at the table more in these conversations with more mainstream reproductive health groups like Planned Parenthood, like NARAL, that can help inform policy and can help work with the clinic so that more people can access health care because we are the ones that are talking to these folks that are being left behind that are falling through the cracks. Exactly. So, um, Neil Farr, what actually got you involved in this advocacy line of work? Is there anything that inspires or drives you um, particularly to keep working on this in such an environment today that 
seems stressful? Yeah. You know, I first got involved in reproductive health work when I was a junior in college. I attended an internship fair at my college, and Planned Parenthood was there tabling looking for advocacy interns. And I, you know, grew up in an environment where my family had been longtime supporters of Planned Parenthood, and I knew I liked the organization. And just in chatting with them, came to realize that, you know, even in Washington State, which is where I went to college, where I sort of had this idea, this ill-informed idea that, you know, oh, Washington is so much better than the rest of the country when it comes to these issues, or the Pacific Northwest is so progressive when it comes to reproductive health care. And I really had the, like, the blind pull back a little bit and realized that that wasn't actually the case. And there was still a ton of work to be done. So I got involved by interning at Planned Parenthood and then went on to work there for four years. And during my time at Planned Parenthood is when we were trying to pass that Reproductive Parity Act in the Washington State Legislature. And I learned that if you don't have the right people elected to office, it doesn't matter how good the policy is, you're not going to get it passed. So mm-hmm. um I knew I needed to be more involved in making sure we were electing pro-choice people to our local government. So shifted into more of a campaign side of work and wanted to make sure that I was still heavily involved in abortion access work because I just found that I'm, I'm really passionate about it and, um, and think that there need to be more people like fighting the good fight to ensure people have access to abortion. So through my time at Planned Parenthood, I got connected with what used to be called the CARE Project, the abortion fund that served Washington State and is now the Northwest Abortion Access Fund and have been on the board of directors there since 2018. And I think that piece about connecting Um, So folks who are pro-choice, we need to get them into the positions where really progressive legislation can be passed that is comprehensive. So when you bring a bill forward that's like, we're going to get coverage, we want this at no cost, we want everyone covered, um, they actually will be there to stand up for it and not just be, you know, pro-choice on the surface, but when it comes down to the wire, things don't get done. Yes, definitely. So, um, and just thinking about uh, how folks can get involved with the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, I know there used to be a big old bolathon where people came out, um, threw some rocks. <laughs> um, what are, what's going on? What's going on these days? Yeah. So we are hosting a number of events across our states coming up in April. Similar idea to the Bolathon of old days, but this year in Portland, we're hosting a Triviathon on April 19th at 2 p.m. Folks can head over to our Facebook, Northwest Abortion Access Fund Facebook, to find out more details there. Anyone and everyone is welcomed for some good old-fashioned trivia and to raise money for abortion access. And we are also hosting events both in Seattle and Boise as well. Um, I personally am not like a huge fan of bowling, so I'm excited to 
have some other options besides uh, throwing the rock at you. Say. <laughs> I so. know that was my thing. I was like, I don't really like bowling, but I like the, this event and I like being the team lead. So it's cool. So we've got a trivia thon, uh, a bingo, and some reproduct- uh, reproductive justice bananagrams going on. So very exciting yeah. there. And, you know, um, before we let you go, the another just interesting point about the abortion funds is it's really individually uh, driven. It's donations by individuals that are going to help out other individuals. So it's it's very much this. Um, it feels way more personal to me to say someone's calling you to get support from funding. And you can say, absolutely. The, the folks that kind of contributed here wanted you to have these dollars. It's like. If a friend texted you and was like, can I have 10 bucks? You'd be like, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are almost entirely funded by individuals. And like I said, you know, we run a 24-7 hotline. And still our, our average grant size that we're giving out to help people is only $351. That almost never covers the full amount of an abortion so folks are still having to scrape together money from friends and family they're still having to sell items that they own clothing toys what have you in order to make that cost so it's definitely it's every amount is really impactful and the money is going directly to the folks that need it most well, thank you so much for joining us today, Neil Farr. It's refreshing just to hear somebody talk about abortion access, not have to cover up what we're actually talking about. Um, that just reduces stigma right there to be like, you can call up. This is what you need. We we trust you. We believe in your choice. We're going to help do what we can to get you there. Of course, yeah. And thank you so much for having me. All right. I also... Um, want to play for folks um, a clip uh, featuring Loretta Ross, who is the co-founder and national coordinator of Sister Song, Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective. Um, She speaks about the beauty of the reproductive justice framework, and um, of course, she can explain it way better than I can. So um, this is about a minute clip. I'll Well, the beauty of the reproductive justice framework is that it ends the isolation of abortion from other social justice issues. And so it allows us to have the conversation about abortion at the same time we're talking about white supremacy or or economic injustice or welfare rights or HIV AIDS or housing or police brutality, all the other things that go on in our community that are also human rights violations because it is a human rights based framework. And so I think that is our best ally right now, that Mm -hmm. we have an intersectional inclusive framework that allows us to have conversations with people who are uncomfortable maybe only focusing on abortion. Because, you know, reproductive justice is the right to have a child and not have a child, and to parent our kids as we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so these are things every community cares about. These are Mm -hmm. things that, you know, environmental injustices and all those kind of things that you could wrap into the reproductive justice framework. All right, and that was Loretta Ross again explaining the reproductive justice framework. 
You're listening to X-Ray FM. I'm Hannah talking with some reproductive justice advocates. We're going to take a quick break and then be back with my guest, Michelle, from Family Forward. Welcome back. I am your host, Hannah Rose now for this hour talking about reproductive rights, reproductive justice, reproductive health. Um, I will have a guest, Michelle Ruffin, the Oregon uh, Oregon political director from Ford Together, joining me um, in just a moment. We will, um, I like to pull in voices of folks who know more than I do. Um, I have actually a clip I want to play with folks for folks about what is reproductive justice. It has maternal health expert Dr. Monica McLemore and Dr. Karen Scott explain the four main tenets of reproductive justice. So take a listen. If you think about the the combining of reproductive health and rights with social justice, you you develop a construct called reproductive justice. Reproductive justice started as as a analytical as a framework as a movement, right? But in 1994, several Black women really actually coined the term, and it really started off thinking about sex associated with reproduction right, produces a pregnancy. And so what are the rights of that person? It is a human rights-based theory and praxis that posits four very important things. People have the right to create family and to create kin in the ways that they see fit. What are the options available to you if you choose to pregnant and to birth, right? Birthing shouldn't really be totally in the hands of OBGYNs. And I say that as an OBGYN, right? So how do you think about the birth workforce and the birth support team? They have a right to prevent and or end pregnancy if that's something that they need to do for themselves and their families. What to do if you want to end the pregnancy and how do you do that with dignity and safety and respect? They have a right to parent with dignity without manipulation, coercion, or violence from any individual or from the state. People who currently have children, what are the um, supports and services and accommodations that the community and the government are accountable to our community to ensure that people can continue to, to parent their children the way they want to in the family composition that they choose. And they have a right to disassociate sex from reproduction, which I think is really important because then that affords us opportunities to have discussions around consent, healthy sexuality, pleasure. And RJ opens all of that up um, so that we really think about options and power and autonomy and not control, constraint, or coercion. All right, that was some experts there kind of giving us a framework for what reproductive justice is. And I also am excited to talk with Michelle Ruffin now, the Oregon Political Director from Forward Together. Hey, Michelle, you on the line? Hey, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Let me let listeners know a little bit about you as the Oregon political director. Um, you lead the Oregon state-based program toward policy wins and culture shift campaigns that center the stories and lived experiences of Ford Together's base. In 2018, Michelle led Ford Together's Canvas team to defeat an anti-abortion ballot measure 
by building relationships with voters of color and having long-form conversations about abortion stigma. That measure was fiercely rejected with one of the highest voter turnouts in Oregon's history. And prior to joining Forward Together, Michelle comes from a strong campaign organizing background in both issues, advocacy, and state elections. But her heart has only one mission, to build political power for queer and trans Oregonians of color and their families. When she's not door knocking or phone banking, you can find Michelle at home spending time with her wife, Rachel, their extended chosen family, and their dog, Zena, and para Erica. Well, welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, it sounds like you have a lot of experience and background, and I also love that you include your animals in your bio. I need to remember to start doing that so people know. <laughs> I'm a dog person, too. Yes, yes, yes. So um, really, what got you started in this advocacy line of work? Is there anything that's really inspiring or driving you to um, really talk about reproductive justice? Yeah, well, I I got my start really organizing for same-sex marriage in Washington County, where I lived back in 2013, where I met so many amazing people. I mean, there I really found my love of volunteer coordination and canvassing, because at the time we were petition gathering before, um, if, if some folks may remember, Judge McShane made that ruling for marriage equality um, back in 2014. And so I'm just met and got to work with a lot of queer youth and um, and similarly many older gay couples who um, for many this was their first time doing community outreach and they really used this opportunity to talk about love and what a family looks like and I still just hold many of those conversations to this day and they keep me going seeing folks really empowered by having discussions about how um, how policies like that or just not having policies affects their lives in very specific ways. I love that being able to, it's a special skill to be able to connect kind of big picture policies and ballot measures and, you know, um, state legislation, even national legislation to how does it affect you and your family and how does that make you feel and how is that going to change things for you either day to day or over time? So, um, Glad to have you doing that here in Oregon still. You were um, a part of the No Cuts to Care campaign, is that right? That's right. And um, so that's exciting to hear. We had the biggest voter turnout to say no cuts to care, and this was particularly about um, abortion uh, access and making sure that um, folks, everyone could have access. Um, what did you learn about be, um, being part of that campaign about um, what was it like to talk with people about abortion today in Oregon? Yeah, um, it was amazing to be part of that campaign. I mean, Forward Together was really, I think, able to really infuse our values into the outreach work that we did specifically. Um, we reached out to voters of color in five key neighborhoods of North and Northeast Portland. And just to lay out some of it, we really started out with um, open-ended questions about people's thoughts on abortion access. Mm. And I think because um, we were trained on how to, we really were trained on how to navigate the conversations about stigma, um, we were able to share personal connected stories that we all on the team had that allowed voters to explore personal reflections 
that really fed into assumptions we all have about abortion, right? That's what um, that's what feeds into abortion stigma. And so we were able to build personal relationships beyond the sort of transactional way that we all think about canvassing, where I ask you a very specific yes or no question, and you either pledge your vote or you say, no thanks, I mark you as such, and then I'm gone, right? Um, but I think allowing us to have a deeper, real conversation with people, um, just like we would around the dinner table or just like we would with our friends um, and allowing people to really open up was a key thing that that was so different, I think, from my own experience at the doors. Um, and as you mentioned, Measure 106 really got the highest voter turnout. I think we we're at about 64% of any other measure on the ballot. Wow. Which was a clear, it was just sort of this clear message from Oregon voters that no matter how we feel about abortion, we really trust Oregonians to make their own decisions about abortion for themselves. And so when I think when I think about this, I just think about um, in the future really building on some of this mm-hmm. um, and just making sure that I think remembering that communities of color really care about our self-determination, we care about making decisions for ourselves and our communities and doing more in statewide campaigns to really reach voters of color should be part of everybody's plan. Mm-hmm. In that coalition, um, so there was labor involved, there was um, communities of color involved, there was reproductive health, reproductive rights, you know, really all kind of banning together around this shared messaging and values. And so that's, um, yeah, and everybody turned out using using the word abortion, which was really um, exciting. Um, I know that Four Together has a reproductive justice media guide intended to be used by members of the media seeking to learn or expand their knowledge of reproductive justice, particularly when reporting on abortion in the Latinx community. Um, can you go over any some of the key concepts or even just why is it important to develop this media guide at this moment in our country? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely speak a little bit more to, to really how um, we see reproductive justice. I mean, I know Forward Together, uh, Forward Together, we define reproductive justice as all people having the social, political, and economic power and resources to make healthy decisions about our gender, bodies, our sexuality, and families for ourselves and our communities. And I think that means that means things like adequate care for um, adequate prenatal and postpartum care. It also includes access to abortion and contraceptives and the ability to space out in time our pregnancies. Um, and, it, and it also means the ability to family plan regardless of what our families look like or are like. So some of that stuff I think came up even in the clip with Monica and Dr. Scott that, that you played a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. And I think when we, um, when we really talk about this issue with different communities, including the Latinx community, right? That we aren't, um, that we really are making sure that we're talking about it from a values-based perspective and what it looks like in that same way that we were just talking about how um, either having a policy or not having a policy really specifically affects our lives. And um, coming from a values-based perspective is really important. And having that framework where, you know, in the same moment you're talking about um, family planning and the right to parent your child in a safe way, the right to have um, paid family leave, so, you know, your work, the right um, 
to healthcare is kind of this, it's just such a beautiful concept to me when thinking about how it really does connect with our own person. We don't really, when you say it like that, it's like, oh yeah, I have a job and I have these other needs and I can't separate myself um, as a person into these different spaces of caring. Like I'd like a movement that cares about me as a complete person and all the different spaces that I, I um, navigate through. That's right. That's right. Uh, another really interesting event coming up is the census. Maybe some people don't think it is, but the more I hear and learn about it, the more I'm like, oh, the census is where it's at. The census is something people need to be talking more about. Not only because it could actually grow a new, um, we could get a new congressional seat because of our growing population. It decides a lot of our federal funding, but um, it, it actually can be and is about reproductive justice and social justice in some ways. Um, is your um, is your organization working on this in Oregon too? Yes, that's right. Um, and you hit it right on the head. The census is so important. Um, I think I heard Stacey Abrams say it beautifully in a way that I could, like in a more um, beautiful way than I could ever say it, but by saying that the census is the basis for every political decision we make in the U.S. Ooh. is absolutely right. Um, and it is, it is, um, if, if, you know, if we think about, we envision a world where we all really have what we need to thrive, mm-hmm. no matter who we are or where we live or what our families look like, then we know that the census has always, and we know that the census really has always undercounted communities of color, mm-hmm. indigenous communities, um, young children or non-English speakers, or LGBTQ community, then if we know all those things, right, it's really critical that we commit to participating in the census and fight to ensure that we're all counted and our communities get the resources and representation they deserve. And you're absolutely right. Here in Oregon, um, we received, you know, just over $13 billion in federal funding due to census counts. And these are not programs that are strange to all of us, right? These are so familiar to all of us. I'm talking about programs like the Oregon Health Plan, Head Start, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, um, the State Children's Health Insurance Program, also known as CHIP. Um, there's also some really critical transportation and um, like foster care and adoption assistance program funding that comes directly from the data derived from the census. So in... in- you know, it can be simplified in terms of it's like a a simple count, but it's so much more than that when you're connecting it to um, all of the decisions that are made and the the funds that come through to communities and just that connection, just like with the no cuts to care, it's about our values. Like what as a community stand up and be counted and what do you need making sure that those resources like you said resources and representation for folks who are here um and it's a pretty broad coalition of groups again that are getting behind this um, census count in oregon that's right yeah the the we count oregon campaign is really a community-led effort that is um really working to reach uh, what we would call hard-to-count communities, which are, you know, children under five, immigrants. They are folks whose, whose la- primary language is not English. Um, 
rural communities, uh, tribal communities, right? There's, uh, there are so many ways in which I say, you know, we really have to do as much work as we can to reach communities who would otherwise be undercounted. And we want to make sure we do the education work now to talk about what the census is, what folks can expect, um, that the census is safe and that under Title 13, there are really some of the strictest confidentiality protections in federal law. Mm. And so if we really want to make sure that we're sending that message that being counted is an act of demonstrating our collective power Mm -hmm. by saying we are here, um, we really have to do that education and outreach work to really make sure folks understand what to expect. Yeah, that's a great point in terms of do you want the gov- do you want the government to know? I mean, uh, potentially the same communities have been harmed by government um, in the past. So, um, kind of trying to reshift and um, talk about that privacy and 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 the collective power that you just mentioned. Um, that's family for or sorry, for together has a lot of really beautiful art. Um, that is posted in schools and offices and all over. I've seen it on social media a lot. I know we're on the radio, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about why and how you're using art in the grassroots organizing world? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like every time I go to a new school or um, some new town hall or, or something, um, I've even seen it in clinics before where I just I see new pieces of our art all the time and I'm like, oh my God. Um, but I would I would say overall art really helps us reimagine the world we strive for, right? The world that we're all building together. So we really use art in our advocacy work because it's a way that we build the voice and political power for our communities. So if you think about as a as a clear example, right? If you think about Mother's Day which is a great example because it's coming up in May. Um, It's one of the biggest commercial holidays in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it often reinforces those traditional ideas about motherhood by excluding representation of mamas based on things like sexual orientation, race, income, immigration status, and more. So I remember growing up and seeing a lot more Mother's Day cards with very standard messaging on them. And if there were images, they were images of a very specific set of folks. It was it was a mother, a father, and two kids. You know, they were likely white, and um, nothing that quite reflected what my family looks like or is like. Mm-hmm. And so each year as an organization, we collaborate with um, organizations across the country and artists to create original art that really celebrates all of our families. Um, we also hold a celebration with activities and art all around you know, all around where we can actually write the Mama's Day, the Mama's in Our Lives cards. Um, and this year, we're actually going to be doing something very similar on May 9th. For Mama's Day? For Mama's Day, yeah. Awesome. And there's um, a way that you can create art, but then you can also kind of share the art and uh, messages um, around social media and via email and um, is that, uh, can That's people right. um, find more information online? Yeah, they can. Um, we're actually co- connecting. This is very um, pivotal for us. We're actually connecting Mama's Day campaign this year with the 2020 census because, as we just talked about, right, it's really important for every mama to be counted. Mm-hmm. So um, if folks are interested in hearing more, they can actually email uh, one of our staff, Emma, at emma at forwardtogether.org. Um, 
and mention their interest in Mama's Day, or you can also go to our website at mamasday.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and helping us connect things all the way from census to Mama's Day and um, ballot measures, it sounds, um, but all connecting it with your heart and values and how can we um, make sure our communities have what they need. So appreciate you coming on air today and talking um, about your work. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Hannah. Of course. Um, great. Well, that has been my power hour. I had two fun guests from the Northwest Abortion Access Fund, and then we just heard from um, Michelle from Ford Together, two folks who are doing some great work in the reproductive justice world. So um, go ahead and check out the events that they were promoting. Um, thanks for tuning in. It's X-Ray, where radio is yours.